Hello, and welcome to NANCAST. I'm Jill, your host. Family-centered care guides all of our care practices in the NICU. We must fully involve the parents in all aspects of the infant's care, making the parents an equal partner in care. Research shows that parents whose babies are hospitalized in the NICU experience trauma, stress, interrupted opportunity for attachment, and a loss of their role as primary caregivers due to their time in the NICU. As NICU nurses, we have the power to change that by encouraging, supporting, and empowering our parents. How do we, as NICU nurses, cultivate a more connective, nurturing environment? Here with us today is Nicole Nyberg, who will discuss how to help parents navigate through their NICU journey and share with us her unique perspective of not only her NICU clinical background, but also her personal NICU parent journey. Nicole has been an NNP since 2013. After her son was delivered at 23 weeks and spent 91 days in the NICU, she has devoted herself to bringing awareness to the multitude of benefits of family-centered care by educating NICU families and members of the NICU care team. Nicole shares her passion of supporting, educating, and empowering NICU parents outside of work through the organization she founded, Empowering NICU Parents, with educational content via the Empowering NICU Parents podcast, through the website, and her published NICU journal, Our NICU Roadmap. Let's get right into it. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today. So you founded and created Empowering NICU Parents. How did that come about, and what drives your passion for supporting parents and educating parents that are in the NICU? Well, thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, I was a NICU nurse for about 12 years before I went on to become a neonatal nurse practitioner. And right as I had started my career as a practitioner, I actually had my son, William, at 23 weeks. And so he spent really just, which we're very lucky, just 91 days in the NICU. And I learned really quickly on after having him there sitting in the NICU on the other side as a parent that there were educational pieces and resources and many things that I felt like were really missing for our parents. And it just, once I sort of wrapped my head around having such a premature son and getting him through the first few years, it just became a passion and a goal and something I was driven to do to just develop Empowering NICU Parents as a website, and we've recently started a podcast. Uh, We've provided a NICU journal. I just really want educational pieces out there and resources for parents that they can tap into because it's such a scary and unknown time. And I genuinely want to help parents. I want them to know that they're not alone, and I want them to know that I've been there. And unfortunately, unless you've walked in those shoes, nobody truly understands it. And now that I've been on that side, I feel like I've been blessed with a different perspective that I'm just hoping to share my dual role now as an NNP, but then also as a NICU parent. Yeah, and that's so helpful for a parent to realize, hey, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And also for a bedside nurse to see what you're doing with your program and the journal and even the podcast and get that insider information that only someone that experienced it has. Because I think a lot of times we're so focused at the bedside on doing this and and making sure the patient is comfortable or the sats are good, you know, and we don't always think about the parent's needs. It must have been so hard because you had that information, you knew what was going on, but I feel like once you're in that 
bedside role, like when you're outside of the bedside, you lose all that. Like that just goes out the window. Right. As a mom, it changes everything. You know, again, I, it was a blessing and a curse that I had the knowledge that I had. I had the background experience as a NICU nurse and as a new NNP. But when you're a mom, everything changes. You you don't think the same. This is your child. And so it changes everything about what you think about and what you're worried about. And just as you said, I NICU nurses are so busy at the bedside, again, with a lot of the medical needs and carrying out the orders and ensuring the baby's safety. As much as we want and we, you know, they want to educate the parents and there's not always time for that. And it's just, that's unfortunately the way that the world is now, especially. And so I just, again, I'm just hoping to have available resources so that even NICU nurses can point parents into the direction of either my website or my podcast or some of those other resources that are available out there. And I think sometimes the parents see us working so hard and focusing on their baby that they don't want to take that focus away from the baby and and say, I have questions, I have feelings, I have needs and stresses that I need you to address as well. And I I think that kind of holds them back. I agree. And I think just in general, it's perhaps they would be fearful that they would be looked upon as weak or that they... A lot of times I don't think that you, your irrational thoughts as an acute parent, you think that you're alone in those and you're afraid that you're going to look ignorant or you're going to ask a question that would seem really stupid to the nurse when in reality it's not at all. So yes, and then I think that they see that we're busy on top of it. So they're not going to ask a lot of the questions that they really should be asking and that we should have time to address. But unfortunately, it just doesn't always work out that way. So as a NICU mom, um, what were some of the most common stresses and struggles that you felt um, while you're at the bedside or at home and like what kind of things could we do as a nurse to alleviate some of those? There are so many, unfortunately. I think one of the first ones that, you know, after actually talking to more NICU parents, I, I realize it now, but I don't know if I realize the impact that it has. But just even that first initial when they take the baby away and that initial bonding that's just completely stripped from the parents. So they miss out on those opportunities for William and I, he was delivered at a level two hospital. So he had to be transported to the hospital where I worked. And, you know, we were 53 miles away for the first couple of days. So just even, and, you know, again, as a 23 weeker, I just, you can't even envision what's happening to your child. So those initial days that bonding, and then parents just don't, they lose their identity as parents because all of a sudden every instinctual parental obligation they felt like they had or they were building themselves up for was has all changed now. And so they don't even know how to act as parents. And when they come to the bedside and they see NICU nurses in there so confidently and assure of, you know, assure of themselves that they, it almost makes them retreat more that they feel incompetent because they don't know what to do as a parent and then, it, you know, additionally, obviously, some parents have other children at home, and the financial aspect is huge, as well oh, yeah. as just even the relationships with your spouse or significant other is, you know, your spouse or significant other doesn't typically react or process drama the same, trauma or drama the same as you do, and you want them to, but when they don't, you get frustrated, and 
again, just even relationships with parents and friends, because it's a very isolating time. I found myself not really wanting to talk to a lot of people because if I think if I said it out loud, I'd actually have to admit that it was happening uh-huh. or they would ask yeah. me how he was doing. And even though I felt like he was doing well, I didn't want to say that out loud because I would jinx it. <laughs> so there's just a lot going on. And I think one of the main things we can do is even identify those high-risk parents, which are essentially every NICU parent, but those, especially those that have you know, those micropremies, 23, 24, 25 weekers, or that have other struggles, whether it's other children at home, they can't get to the NICU. We just need to really be cognizant of those parents that we're seeing that are having a hard time and figuring out how, what are the resources can we get to them so that we can get them help and support them? Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk now about toxic stress in the NICU and, you know, amongst the parents, but then you're adding on all these other stressors, the unknowns, and then balancing life outside of the NICU and then inside. And there's a lot of guilt. I feel that is something that I struggle with with the parents with guilt. That, you know, how can I walk them through guilt? You know, they have to leave. They have to leave the bedside. They have to go home at some point because they have to take care of themselves. And you have these fresh C-section moms that are, you know, trying to stay there as long as possible. And it's like, you need to take care of yourself. And I, that is a, I know that's a lot of struggle with bedside nurses. And I'm sure it was a struggle for you as a mom as well to, to leave and, you know, not leave your baby in someone else's hands. I can't imagine how. Right. It was probably one of the worst struggle. ones. I, again, I think I felt like with my experience, I perhaps should have almost prevented what happened with William for him to have to be delivered at 23 weeks. And I think as moms in general, we tend to do that even more so than men. And so there's immediately that maternal guilt. And then, yes, I was one of those crazy moms. I, you, my husband could not get me hardly to leave William's bedside. I just, I felt like, I think because I probably had guilt, I felt like if God forbid anything happened to him, I wanted every minute that I could be with him and that I could hopefully try to help him. And I always said if I would sit there and sing to him and pray with him, and if he could sit in there and fight for his life, I was going to do what I could. But a lot of that, too, I think is the powerlessness that a lot of parents feel. And that is one aspect of power or control that they can control is that they can actually sit there. They can sit there and be there. And I think, again, it's, you know, a lot of mental pieces that go into it, but you just want to do, you feel, you feel helpless. So that is one thing you can do is you can sit there and be with them. And on the other, you know, on the flip side, some parents can't bring themselves to stay at the bedside. And a lot of times we attribute that, that, oh, well, those parents aren't bonding. Why aren't they coming in? And we look at, I hate to say that, but sometimes we look upon that negatively and where are they? And, but we don't spend the time to really get to the bottom of it. Are they dealing with other things? Like you said, sometimes there's stuff going on at home that we just have no idea. Maybe they're not finding support outside of the hospital. So, right, you know, that's the time that we have to use other resources, um, like you mentioned. Right. And even, you know, my husband early on was sort of one of those parents. He was drifting away. And I think that was his coping mechanism. He didn't want to get attached to William because he was so fearful of losing him where I said, you couldn't get me away from him. So part of that is, yes, there's a lot of parents that can't be there physically, whether it's transportation or yes, they have other children at home or it's their way of processing it. But I agree with you. And I think it's important if the nurses are identifying that, that yes, I 
unfortunately, we're super quick to judge. But if we could just find, you know, there's a lot of NICUs that like we use palliative care to come in and talk to the parents. There's a, I've heard of a lot of other NICUs that are actually bringing in mental health specialists. And, you know, obviously with the parent's permission, just say, you know, if there's, or even social work, can we bring somebody in to try to help you work through this so that you can be here with your baby? So yes, if we could just pause and not really try to figure out what it is, but just ask them if there is something and then try to get them the resources. I think that that would be helpful. Yeah. And I, and it's important that the mom or the family feels, you know, that they can trust the nurse. I know we have a point person on our unit that will contact and have a relationship with all of our micro preemies that we know are going to be there for a a long time. And that's the nurse that, you know, if they're having issues that they can go to. And I think it's more comforting for them to know, oh, I'll I'll talk to her. I don't have to bother my nurse that's at the bedside and take her away from my son or daughter's care. Right. Trust is huge. Yes. So if they, I love that when there's a nurse navigator or somebody that can come in and the parents know, sometimes they even know that nurse from antepartum. Sometimes they know the nurse from antepartum or while they're on bed rest in the hospital. So if there's somebody that, yes, as long as they can trust somebody, then hopefully they'll open up to them. But I think it's important that we're always checking in. I think we feel like we're bothering parents by asking how they're doing because I always say, if you would have asked me probably five times, I would have said, oh, I'm good. But perhaps by maybe the seventh or eighth time, I would have said, actually, I'm probably not doing really well. I'm just trying to just cope and proceed on. Day by day, minute by minute. At that point, sometimes that's all you can all you can expect. Right. So you talk about like how you know your parental role has totally changed at time of delivery when they're taken away and they're premature or they're not what you expo- what you expected to have as a delivery. How can we be able to give parents a little bit of feeling of that they are still a parent? And, you know, I feel like a lot, a lot of times we give the parents direction, like, no, you can't change the diaper now. No, you can't take the temperature. And we take over, and that's awful that we, that we do that. So what are some tips that you can give to nurses to help parents feel more actively involved? Um, and their parents, and actually a partner, I guess you could say, in in care. Right. Yes, absolutely. So I think one of the main things is just even initially as a welcoming environment, whether you're bringing the dad with you during, you know, right after delivery, upon admission, or even the mom's first visit. Again, it's all very overwhelming, but just even introducing names, asking them their baby's name, and just doing a few simple educational pieces of what are we attaching to their baby what is hooked up to them, what are the monitors, what are some of the sounds that they'll hear, and just very a welcoming environment, just so they feel they don't feel like a visitor or like a guest. And then from there, I you know, there was something that I read that nurses, if they could come from more of a coach or facilitator position versus and I admit it too, I again I was a NICU nurse for twelve years that it's you feel like it's so much quicker and you're more competent in caring for the baby and you can get a diaper change done quicker by yourself. You can feed the baby probably a little bit better than the parents, but involving the parents from the get-go as soon as we can is huge because like I said, the more that if we kind of shove them aside, the more that they feel incompetent and they'll actually continue to retreat more. And then it feeds into that alteration in parental role where they actually don't feel like parents. So something as simple, I think, especially for those really small babies is two-person care, just educating them on if they can do the containment, just so they can get their hands in there on their baby is 
going to start to build their confidence in doing more and then eventually move in to a diaper change. And then, of course, kangaroo care, skin to skin care is huge. And early involvement and engagement is important. And part of that engagement, though, too, is explaining their baby's diagnosis or kind of what is there to expect in the next few days, weeks, without overwhelming them so that they can hopefully start to ask questions and feel like they're part a partner or part of the team. So you recommend when the parents first come in to just first time they visit to just start start that rolling. And because I think a lot of times we're like, oh, we don't want to overwhelm them. So, you know, leave them leave them to, you know, visit with our baby and kind of stand to the side. I think a lot of people take that approach, but um, it seems like it's a lot better to start right as soon as they come in and get them active. I think so, because I think, again, it's so scary, but if you involve them from the beginning, they're not going to question what they're doing or that they shouldn't be touching their tiny baby, because as long as we are giving them direction and how to do it appropriately, and, you know, if there's We have a lot of small baby units around here. If there's a small baby unit or, you know, if you're admitting a small baby, just talk to them about the fact that why is it dark in here and what are we doing and give them pieces of education about neurodevelopmental care. And again, not overwhelm them, but just very small bits of information. But I think the sooner you can get them involved, the more they will build their confidence and they'll want to continue to be engaged. Yeah, and I, I think they get so excited when we include them and, you know, even the simple act. I love to do oral care with the parents and they get so excited and it means the world to them. And it's a five minute task that you can stand there and assist the parents in doing, but that makes all the difference in the world. So it, I, I think we have to find, like you said, we have to find those little areas that they can help with, even if it's just containment. Uh, during care. Right. And I, you know, just even having them hold their hand while we're doing putting leads on and things, you know, a, a lot of our nurses will say, Dad, come right up. You can hold her hand or hold their hand. And like you said, oral care, I think parents are amazed, especially when you have these teeny tiny babies, even if they have an endotracheal tube in that you give them oral care and they will start sucking. You know, there's just like some of those things that you just don't realize. But I think we tend to over time take for granted. But when you see the parents reaction and the joy from it, I just feel like it just reassures and confirms what we're doing. Because again, that's their baby. And I just, it's one of the things we have to reiterate over and over to ourselves is that is their baby. This is their one opportunity. And they'll remember those things, the good and the bad. Exactly. And I, I think it makes the baby seem more like a baby and not medical a patient in front of them that, oh my gosh, they suck. And, you know, they're looking at me and they're holding my hand. And you're right, we do take that for granted because we see it all the time. So including parents in the plan of care is also very important so they know what's going on. Um, How do you encourage parents to be more active in rounds? And also, how do you encourage as a bedside nurse, the medical team to be more active and involved with the parents as well? Great question. I think first and foremost, again, every family and their circumstances are different. So I think it's crucial in the very beginning and then even throughout the baby stay that we are discussing with parents, A, when rounds are, and then also to ask the parents if they 
feel like on a daily basis if they will be able to be there and be present for them? And if not, how would they like to be communicated with either during rounds? Would they want like a phone call or some units do FaceTime videos or would they just prefer a phone call from a provider later in the day? So I think just trying to find out what exactly the family wants because every family is different. And that's part of family-centered care is real figuring out what works for each family. And then again, that just the educational piece, I think parents should know about rounds, what the intent is that usually a team will come around and discuss their baby, the diagnosis, any labs or lab values or what the plan of care is each day. And I think once parents start to become involved in rounds, they will then start to ask questions. And especially if the team is discussing things with them, not just telling them what's happening, but you know, if there are options, here are our options and how do they feel about those? And part of the reason that I put my NICU journal together is I I did a whole section on daily rounds because I think parents don't know what to ask. They don't know even what, what the purpose is. So each day, then I have like a section of, you know, the baby's weight and the gestational age and what the feedings are at and any lab values that they did that morning so that parents have questions to ask. Or I think it's important for parents to even have a pre-conversation with the bedside nurse if they can before rounds, if they're worried about how they're going to ask a question or they, again, a lot of times rounds can be so many people and very overwhelming for parents that they don't even want to ask questions. So even if you ask the nurse, say, do you mind asking this for us? I think a lot of nurses will do that because they're Nurses are obviously the baby's advocate and the family's advocate. So I think a lot of times they'll say, hey, the parents are curious about X, Y, and Z. So I just think the more, again, the more that parents are involved and the earlier on that they're involved in rounds, the more confident they will be in participating in them. And I I also think that sometimes I know for our welcome package that we give our families is a little notebook so they can jot down questions for, you know, whenever they come up and then they have that there that they can refer to. And that's always helpful because, you know, how, how many times do you talk to someone and then they leave and, oh, I should have, I should have asked right. them that. Um, so I think that's yes, helpful. Yes, I think. And is there stuff like that in the journal? There is. Like for, in your journal? Yeah. So I have an area where they could write the questions that they have each day because, again, just as you said, I think you get so bombarded with a lot of information that anybody, let alone a scared parent, is going to forget the questions that they had or what they were thinking about in bed last night while they were trying to sleep. So if they there's a spot there that they can write down what they want to ask for the day and then also what the plan of care is. And then even, you know, the care team providers, because it's one of the things that I wanted to know. I wrote down every single day who the neonatologist was, who the NNP was, who the nurse was, because part of it is too, it's just you'll go back and that will be a great keepsake for your baby and, and your family. But yes, like you said, I, there is, one of my intentions was to have a spot that they could pre-write down questions each day and just so they don't forget them during rounds. We were talking a lot about how we need to start incorporating parents in care and making them feel that they are confident to care for their baby and feel comfortable to either speak up or to help with care. What are some of the positive effects that we're finding on allowing these parents to have frequent involvement and especially early on? Main one, one of the main ones is is the bonding because a lot of times once parents feel like they're stripped or their parental role is stripped from them, the the bonding with their infant is affected, but it can be in a negative way. So if we can encourage involvement, bonding will start to slowly come back. And again, the confidence, which then 
reiterates the the bonding and them continually wanting to become involved. And a lot of the research has shown that parents that are there and they're bonding and they're taking helping to take care of their baby, that they're learning their behavioral cues, the negative ones and the positive ones, that those families that go home are a healthier unit as a whole because the parents are confident. They've learned how to take care of their baby with the assistance of the NICU care team guiding them and coaching them. So once they're home, they're confident. And those babies actually have shown then to have better neurodevelopmental outcomes in the future because, again, they're going home to a loving environment with confident parents who have the ability to take care of their own baby. So a lot of that, like I said, it if the parents don't kind of jump in and get involved, then the bonding is affected and then it just causes this negative cascade event. I know that a lot of times even just explaining to parents baby stress cues and, you know, when they are trying to do containment or holding the hand or, or whatever, if they're in the isolate and you can say like, look, they're telling you they're they're angry or they're stressed. And it gives the baby a little, I feel like it gives the baby a little personality and, and the parents really feel that they can um, read their baby and they know if they like this or they, they don't like that. And it does really carry through the stay. And it, I, you're right. It does help neurodevelopmental outcomes. And they're, they're like, oh, wait, I got a hands off. I get a hands off him because he seems to be not having a good day and he's not liking my um, touch or what I'm doing to him. Right. And I think it's important to do it before, you know, we're taking them out of the crib and trying to teach parents how to feed them. Because if you're educating them and showing them, you know, the splayed hands or some of the other negative behavioral signs that they're overwhelmed, if they're just learning those when you're getting ready to start to PO feed them, then you're almost like behind the wheel. So we need to start doing it earlier on so that, yes, when they take them out to feed, they're like, oh, you know what, I think he or she is overwhelmed right now. And I'm going to pause because and so that's awesome when you have these parents that are recognizing that we've we've done our job well, because, again, a lot of those cues, we had such a fabulous night nurse, Stephanie, I don't know if she'll listen, but she my parents loved her because she would say, I'm going to wait a little bit and just giving William a good pause just so he could kind of recollect himself when he was so tiny. So and had I not known those cues, I would have learned that from her. So just even pointing out, and it, it doesn't mean it's a negative thing, but just, yeah, say, look how they're putting their hand in front of their face, or they're yawning a lot, or, oh, now they have the hiccups. You know, those are just simple things that parents will probably think, oh, look, it's so cute. But And it is, but it also is a sign that they're a little bit overwhelmed. I think uh, bedside nurses sometimes are a little nervous to tell parents, like, you need to back off a little bit because they're not tolerating X, Y, or Z. But if you, like you said, if you make it more of an educational piece that you're telling them this is, this is your baby telling you this, then maybe it'll be more of a learning experience and hopefully they can carry that uh, further. Because it's, I hate telling a parent that it's not a good day to do kangaroo care. If the, you know, they're having a a rough day, Um, I hate delivering that news. But if you can try to make it a positive spin, I guess. Right. And just even, you know, you mentioned just how you say it. The the verbiage that we use, too, is huge. And so, like you mentioned earlier, we don't want to say, don't do that, don't do this. But just say, hey, listen, you know, he or she seems to be having a little bit of a rough day. It's not anything, you know, terribly negative. It's just this isn't a good time for them right now. And I think it's, it's however we as long as we present it empathetically and that you 
let the parents know that you're disappointed too, that they can't do kangaroo care or that maybe they're not tolerating a PO feeding attempt that, and I think as long as we always say, I'm trying to do the best thing for your baby, we want, you know, we want the same outcomes here. I don't think that we can continue to have this conversation without mentioning COVID and how that's affecting staffing um, and also burnout of our nurses. And, you know, in order to have all of this conversations with with our families and incorporating family-centered care, that's a lot. And it does, they're stressed out about everything that's going on in the world. We're stressed out. What are some ways that we could combat that? And, you know, how do we fight those barriers that we're facing today? That is a great question. Yes, I feel like, obviously, COVID has affected everybody in some way. And a lot of times, people may think it's not really in the maternal child world, but it definitely has affected our world as well between, you know, there are some moms that are positive and then how we treat the baby, whether they're in isolation and testing them. And just as you mentioned, the burnout, there are a lot of bedside nurses that are stepping away or going to other assignments. And there is definitely a shortage of nurses. And so, and also the parents, the visiting restrictions have varied every single place and every single parent that I've spoken to. And I had a mom beg me if there was some way that she and her husband could sit at their baby's bedside together, even if it meant they just did it for one or two hours and they didn't come back the rest of the day, because that makes me so sad that these parents are sitting there by themselves a lot of times with their baby and they haven't been there together with their significant other. And I just think if we could all just remember how much that this is affecting everybody and although the nurses at the bedside are stressed and burnt out and some days not wanting to come into work, we have to remember the parents too, because on any day, this is not where they want to be. And they certainly don't want to be there during a COVID pandemic and not being able to sit there with their significant other or not being able to come in and see their baby certain times. So we have to just remember to show grace and to try to show some compassion and remember that this is their child. So what is another day for us at work is this, this is their time with their baby. And if we could just try to do the, our very best to still promote family-centered care. And if there are some of those units that are just doing one parent at a time, then, you know, offer a, FaceTime or let me take a picture of you doing kangaroo care for the first time so that we can show your husband and, you know, just trying to support them as much as we can. Like you said, every hospital has different policies on COVID and we have a COVID positive patient and baby and the parents can't come visit. And, you know, and that's horrible. So how do you allow some kind of family bonding. And nurses are very creative. And I, I think we found some some ways, though it will never replace the actual bonding. Um, but we have found creative ways with pictures and videos and FaceTime. Some units have the uh, streaming cameras that we have, like we have. And so there are there are little ways that you can try to break some of those barriers. But it is it is really difficult. Right. I think, yes, like you said, the live stream videos are amazing. Those did not exist whenever William was in the NICU. I actually ended up speaking at a benefit so that our NICU could get them. And we now have them, which was very exciting. And just 
you know, to be able to, yes, peek in on them and see them. And I know a lot of them, you can write little notes on them. And it may seem so silly to you, but to for a mom to see, you know, William's eyes were fused. And so, like, I think on day five, one popped open and then later the <laughs> other one did. And the nurse, like, got the Polaroid camera and took a picture because it happened during the night. I wasn't there. So... I think we underestimate those small gestures, how much they mean to parents, but they are huge because we just, again, we have to remember this is their baby and William was my first baby. So to see that, I just loved her doing that. And they would draw pictures on the memo board and things like that. So just parents, again, kind of goes back to the trust. They feel more confident when they trust the, especially the team and the bedside NICU nurses. And when they know that you care and that you're really giving love and attention to their baby, it just means so much. And I cannot underestimate saying that it just means so much when you see like, look what they did. And it just, it, it really like fills your heart, especially if you can't physically be there. Yeah, and and that's, you know, when we're having all of this burnout and staff shortage and everything that goes around COVID, like you said, just a little small gesture goes a long way. So if we could just etch out an extra five minutes of our time to do something that could mean the world to somebody, you know, and I'm hoping that people that are listening can take that advice and open that, open their hearts and take a little bit of time um, with those parents that are struggling. Absolutely. Yes. And like you said, it just it does take a little bit of extra time, but it means the world for the parents. And like I said, the nurses are there day in and day out, but we just have to try to remember that this is the parent's baby and maybe their only baby. And so all these experiences that we capture and that we celebrate with them, that that is they're going to remember they will remember those. I always say I remember the most positive moments and I also remember the most negative. Unfortunately, I think that's just life in general. So even the teeny tiny positive it seems very nil to you can be just huge for a parent. Nicole, tell us where we can find all of this great information for empowering our NICU parents. So like I said, I have developed a website, so you can go to empoweringnicuparents.com, and on there, there are educational components, there are the links for all of our podcasts are also available on there, and just educational material. You can also learn a little bit more about our NICU journal, which is called our NICU Roadmap, as well as we developed milestone cards because, again, I think it's important for parents to celebrate every milestone, even when their baby's in the NICU. And the podcast, which, again, has educational topics from an infant of a diabetic mother all the way to respiratory support to I just did one about how important it is to read to your baby in the NICU. So for either nurses or parents, it's that is the Empowering NICU Parents podcast. And it is available on most platforms on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. So again, I try to release them as many as I can. Um, and that is just full of educational materials. Some of them even have information about maternal mental health and things that I just think are really important. So, uh, and that's obviously all free. So just a way to hopefully listen to, for those parents to listen to something quick on their way to the NICU, maybe just to get some extra information and even to help parents think of questions to ask their NICU nurse or the providers as, you know, they get to the NICU and, and want to stay engaged with their baby and their progress. 
Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us and all of your work for empowering our families and also empowering us to make things a little bit better and a little bit nicer for our families in the NICU. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Make sure you never miss an episode of NANCAST by subscribing now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks for your support and letting us into your ears. Have a great day.